Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Engler. I'm here with our producer, Dylan Carnival, and I'm also here with our co-host, John Amayo. Today, we are responding to the question, why isn't a hashtag enough to end racism? Today, we are here with our friend from Browncroft, Marvin Mumford. He's from uh, the Georgia, Atlanta area. He's a musician, a singer. He's also been spending a lot of time uh, discussing racism. And so as our friend, um, you know, he volunteered. I love when podcast guests kind of say, hey, I want to talk about this. So we made, uh, you know, we made space in our schedule for this. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, before we get started into our conversation, John, uh, Marvin suggested that I just say a word of prayer. Is that I, I think Marvin was very wise. And, yes. and so let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. So God, uh, you know, as we come to this podcast, uh, we realize that we live in a broken world. We also realize that the day of this recording, that it's Juneteenth, when we commemorate when slaves were freed um, in 1865. And so, Lord, um, I pray for our nation. I pray for reconciliation. I pray that as the church that we would rise up in this moment. And Lord, as we talk about racism, we realize that it it's more than just what we say on social media. It's a way of living out the gospel a way that you've called us to unify and become the church. So, Lord, guide us in this conversation today. In your name, amen. 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 So, you know what, John? Yeah. Let's just go. Okay. Marvin, let's just go. So, the conversation today is why isn't a hashtag enough to end racism? Uh, Marvin, why don't we start with this? Um, what has been your experience since George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery? Um, we can talk about the past, but just the these episodes, um, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are you going through right now? Um, for me, and I think for, uh, and I can't speak for, uh, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say this right from the beginning. Uh, me sharing today, I'm not speaking for every black person across the world, just like I know you guys are not speaking for every white person or non-minority uh, person today. Uh, so my views and my viewpoint is from me and my family and those that I'm connected closely to, uh, and I suspect the same thing for you guys. Mm. Uh, but for us, uh, it has been um, uh, a very exciting time for us, exciting time, especially for me as a believer, um, because in this time, I now get more conversations. I now get more phone calls, more emails, more text messages uh, from folks who would normally not engage in conversation with me, even though they do know me. Um, and so that has been awesome for me because now I get to now engage with more people. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's heart wrenching. Uh, the things that we have seen, the things that we have experienced. Uh, and, and like you said, we're not going to talk about the past but it's almost incumbent that we do talk about the past because that's the boiling point of what has happened mm. with the situations that are going on right now. It is those things that we have seen for years and for months and for decades. And now it's, it's becoming more prevalent because we have social media uh, that everybody gets to see it. And it's, it's almost like a, a friend of mine said, it's almost like murder porn that we're mm. seeing now because everybody is blasting on social media, everything that's happening and things that, so we're being bombarded. 
and it's overwhelming our heart to the point of, you know, frustration and anger, you know, uh, in, in our community, as well as I know in your community. Um, and so, um, for me and my family, uh, it's been a, an, a, an awesome experience, not awesome that we have seen death, but mm. awesome that awesome that we have been able to be the church, to mm. be that bridge, to be that conversation, to be those hands and feet that God has called us to. You know, yesterday, my son, my uh, oldest son, uh, his name is Marvin II, and he, he uh, just finished his first year at Berkeley uh, College of Music in Boston, and I'm super Ooh. proud of him. He's such an amazing musician. Uh, and so, um, with that, um, he's been engaging in conversation, um, with, uh, a lot of his friends at school. And so there was a situation that transpired yesterday. Um, and, uh, I was really proud as I was sitting outside on my front porch, he was talking to some of his friends and I was listening to his conversation, you know, not being nosy, but I was, <laughs> <laughs> and just, just hearing his perspective of, of, of the situations and how people are handling it. I was, I was almost in tears, but I didn't want him to see it because he knew that I was in the conversation, Mm. but I was so proud to hear him engaging with his friends in conversation about what's happening right now with the the situations and and, and everything that's going on. And I was like, Lord, you're just so awesome. Uh, Mm. And so it's great to see that, you know, my, my youngest son, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting outside right now because my 14-year-old, he's not the youngest. I have a five-year-old as well. And a 17-year-old. We have four boys. Wow. Um, that's a I'm spread. Sitting there, I'm sitting, yeah. That's, <laughs> 20 to 5. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, and so uh, um, so I'm sitting at, at football practice. My, um, my 14-year-old, he's at football practice right now, so that's why I'm sitting outside. But even him engaging a couple of days ago with some of his friends on the football field as they were practicing, and someone said some things and things of that nature. And he immediately, you know, stood up and challenged them on what they said. Uh, mm. And in a loving way. And I was like, man, God, you're so awesome uh, in that aspect. And so uh, uh, my wife just as well, man, you know, she's on Facebook and Twitter uh, and, and, and engaging with her friends. And just seeing the conversation that God has allowed us to be able to be a part of. Uh, has been a blessing for us. Let me say that way. Mm. Has been a tremendous blessing for us. Uh, it's heart wrenching at times, uh, but it has has shown great fruit. Wow, wow! And I love that attitude of yours, Marvin. Like even even pre conversation here, as we were talking a little bit ahead of time, you were saying you want this to be a conversation between us, and in a sense, model for people what what hasn't yes. happened before, you know, yes. in a lot yes. of ways, and to model for people what could be. And I love that. I love that, that heart. And I think that's Peter in my heart in this podcast as well. Like, we want to, not perfectly, we're not going to do this, you know, perfectly, but we want to model something that hasn't been there before in a lot of cases. Right. And, and right. produce something you know, healthy and, and give a healthy vision of what could be in the future. Because I think there is yeah. a vision of what could happen in the future that maybe some of us are just just barely starting to see right now a vision of what this could be. And we're going, oh, wow, this is better than what I thought it could be in some ways. So um, anyway, that's just me talking a little bit ahead of time here. But as you were talking, I was, <laughs> I was thinking... You, you were describing your son who goes to Berkeley and you were describing his interactions with, you know, his friends and you feeling so proud of him. 
What was it about that interaction that you felt like so proud in that moment? What was it that that either how he was communicating or what he was communicating that that you just kind of welled up inside of like this sense of pride? Right. I'm trying to I don't I'm trying to turn my Apple Watch thing from dinging off. That's what I'm trying <laughs> oh, yeah, to yeah. I got that. I got that. Um, you know, for me, it was his his engagement with um, on both ends of it, because there was there was a situation where uh, one of his friends who, who happens to be white, uh, she posted some things on her social media about some things that she didn't understand, uh, you know, and she casually said some things. And then some of his African-American friends immediately jumped on her, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, without, you know, and they're all supposed to be friends. And so with him, he was like, hey, man, if we're supposed to be friends, then we should be able to call one another and engage in conversation if we have seen something that one of our friends or one of our family has said and we're uncomfortable with it instead of just going after them. Mm. Now, maybe she could have handled it a little bit better on some things that she said and she acknowledged that. But on the other side of it, maybe we could have handled it better as, as her friends and dealing with that. Uh, and so, you know, his first response was, okay, let me call her and talk with her about what was said. Whereas some of the other friends was like, you know what? We just going to jump on her and we're going to tell her that she's this and she's that. And he's like, wait a minute, that's not her at all. That's not who she is. And mm-hmm. and what was said was, was taken way out of context and you manipulated that. And, and I was so uh, excited that he was willing to challenge both parties mm-hmm. in a loving manner, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what really excited me is that he saw that, you know, and he sees that because for us, uh, we, we've been, uh, what we consider domestic mission missionary, uh, all our ministry life. We've been doing ministry for almost 25 years now. Mm. And uh, although God has allowed us to go abroad a little bit, most of our ministry is done in the United States. Mm. And we've been to every rural country city that you possibly can go to. And we've seen all the flags flying. We've seen mm. all the, every, we've experienced everything, you know, uh, from, from the greatest of the great to the worst of the worst mm. uh, here in the United States. Uh, but my kids have seen that. Uh, when they say Uncle Tony, uh, Uncle Tony is not black. Mm. Uncle Tony is Hispanic. <laughs> mm. When they say Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe is not black. Uncle Joe is Italian. Mm-hmm. When they say Uncle Mark, Uncle Mark is not black. Uncle Mark is white. You mm. know, when they say, you know, you know uh, Uncle Leonard, Uncle Leonard is black, you know? <laughs> so they have a huge uh, 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 um, um, plethora of people that they pull from that we have innately immersed our family into because that's what the kingdom is going to look like. And when we get to have, it's not going to be a black side, a white side, a Hispanic mm. side, an Asian side, a Russian. It's going to be one group of people doing one thing. And that's worshiping. This mm-hmm. pastor told me this one time. He says, Marvin, he says, I'm working myself out of a job every time I preach. He says, but you're only practicing because we get in heaven. We're going to worship the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, which, is tr- which is true. And so that conversation that he was having with those students, it just really burst in my heart. Because I saw God doing something in him and not that he was holding on to what his dad was saying, but those were his own questions from his experience with God, his experience with life and his experience with his friends and associates. And so I was really excited about that, bro. Hmm. You know, Marvin, as we kind of have this conversation, I think I love the story of your son because um, I just really relate to that. Um you know, so Esau Macaulay, who's a friend and uh, he's a theologian, he's been featured on the New York Times. Like one of the things that he said that stuck out to me is he said, I wish that when George W. Bush was president and we had 
a more diverse church that we would that we would have been talking about racism. You know, like we it seems like we only talk about racism after a tragedy, but not in times of peace. And I think one of my biggest disappointments of this whole situation, there was a moment when the the videos came out of on George Floyd that I felt like everybody was at the table. Everybody was condemning it as wrong. And and I just I say we collectively, you can say nation, church like and I kind of look at myself. I'm wondering, did we miss that short window to bring everybody to the table and really talk about it? Because after that moment, that's when, you know, basically, I'll just say it this way. When someone calls me, I kind of already know what talking points they're going to give me. And and that's been that's been the frustrating part is I'm not asking when I'm in a a conversation, kind of like your son, I'm not asking you to necessarily change your position unless it's biblically wrong. I am asking you to walk out of your lens of seeing racism for a moment. So I don't know that that's just been my main thought on this whole episode. And and again, totally the reason why we're going through what we're going through right now is definitely the past. But I just feel like we had everybody at the table and we missed an opportunity to kind of go from there. I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh, I do think that we missed that opportunity. And that window was very small. Mm-hmm. That window was very small. I was, I was, I would say within that first day mm-hmm. that all the videos were coming out, if the church would have immediately respond and jumped into uh, the prayer thing, then I think we could probably have had uh, more genuine conversations. Mm-hmm. But this is the problem. The church stood back because mm-hmm. of other situations where uh, this pastor said this to me. He says, Marvin, I didn't want to say anything until I had all the facts. Mm. And then I had another pastor say to me, how much facts do you need to see someone die? Mm. You know? So there were two, there were two dichotomies that were going on at the same time. And, and, and so many times, this is what we do as the church. We always try to weigh back instead of jumping in. Mm. My dad told me this. He says, I'd rather apologize to you than ask permission. Mm. He says, I'd rather apologize for saving your life than ask permission. Can I pull you out of that lake? Mm. You know, (laughs) if if you didn't want me to help you, uh, I apologize, bro. I I do apologize for helping you, bro. Um, But I'm not going to wait to help you. If I see you in trouble, boom, I'm jumping in. And that's what has happened with the church. We have we have become so uh, enamored with the power of our politics. We have come so enamored with our status of being this church or this pastor or this worship team or this music group and all those kind of things. We have forgotten about what Christ came to do. Mm. He came to save. Mm-hmm. And in the in- innocence of what happened in that situation, there were so many lives we could have saved. There were so many uh, heartaches that we could have saved, but we stood back with our arms folded and say, you know what, you know, let me just see what's going to happen. Let me see what's going to happen because we have put on our shield of politics. Mm. Uh, you know, um, I, I do a lot of uh, uh, communicating with communication with um, sports uh, teams, athletes and things of that nature. And one thing I realized, I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, a huge that, let me say that, let me, yeah, Dallas Cowboys fan. You just did the Ezekiel Elliott Mar- right there. Mar- that was Mar- nice. I, I just want to let you know how ironic 
the episode we recorded previously is Corey Proctor, offensive lineman from the Dallas Cowboys. There Come on, guys. Y'all know that. That's that love. That's that love right there. <laughs> there Anyways, keep going. Keep going. You're Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so with that, as much as I love the Dallas Cowboys, I can wear all the deep jerseys I want. I can wear all the Witt jerseys, even though he's gone now. I can wear the, the, all these jerseys. I can go down to, you know, the AT&T Stadium. I might even be able to get down to the sidelines if I pay enough money. Hmm. But I guarantee you, if I said, hello, Mr. Jerry Jones, or if I said, hello, that they don't know me. Mm-hmm. As much as I love it, I, now I can put that on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just because I put that on, that doesn't mean me a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know me. I don't have a relationship with them for them to say, hey, Marvin. That's what... Now, the difference with that is that I've been working with the Kansas City Chiefs for about seven or eight years. Um, me and my son, we traveled down. They're the only NFL team that was doing uh, worship for their, 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 their uh, chapel service for their fans and the opposing fans. So while people are tailgating, we have a, a, a service in, 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 in the parking lot hmm. uh, so people can come and enjoy the Lord and then go to the game. Now, if I go down to the Kansas City Chiefs, they're going to say, hey, Marvin, what's happening? They know me. Hmm. I have a relationship with them. And the church has, has forgotten about. That's why I became a believer. I used to be in the nation of Islam. And the reason why I became a believer is because I realized that there was a relationship that God wanted with me. There's an intimacy that he actually wanted with me. It wasn't this distant thing and, and I had to wait to get here to go. No, there was a relationship that he wanted with me. And so the same thing happens with us as, as believers. There's a relationship that should be happening this way just as well as this way. Mm. And we missed that moment, that very first day to engage in relationship. Uh, we, we again put on that cloth, uh, because uh, we can put that cloth on and off, you know, yeah. we can hide under that. We, we people got upset about you know just wearing masks, and I don't have mine on right now because there's nobody around, but I got about eight of them in my car here. People were upset, I don't want to wear no masks, and you know, all this kind of stuff. But in the church, we have so many masks in the church, mm. we, we put on a mask every Sunday and we pretend that we're something that we're not. Uh, uh and so, uh, we did miss that window, man, but I think. You know, and, and you alluded to this earlier, you know, that there is a vision. That vision has always been there of what we should be. Mm-hmm. And it's rooted in the word of God. It's rooted in the word of God. God came to reconcile us back to him. He came to, 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 to redeem us. And that same reconciliation can happen in our lives. Now, note this. In order for there to be reconciliation, at some point, there had to be an even level. Mm-hmm. At one point, we, we were in relationship with God. We were there. You know, with Adam and Eve, we were there, and that was broken. Here in the United States, there was at no time an even level for African Americans and whites. Mm. There has never been a time where we have been even. Yeah. So, so we want to reconcile those relationships, but it never was there. So it's not really reconciliation. We need to build that. Mm. Not even reconcile it. We need to build it. There's no foundation of that, mm, you know? Yeah. So, so where I want to jump in, you know, our question for today, why isn't a hashtag enough to end racism? Let's kind of move that conversation towards social media, because what you're talking about is the theological reason, you know, the gospel is not like, it's not just this message that we preach, like it's something that we live. So walk us through kind of the social media experience that you've had and we'll add in our thoughts too um because again for us to know what does it look like more to a hashtag i think we need to talk about what happened on social media and what's happening right now um you know um uh 
uh, alluding right back to uh, my Dallas Cowboys again. I'll keep doing this throughout the whole podcast. Um, <laughs> alluding back to my Dallas Cowboys, the hashtag means you know what that does? That means, you know what, I get to put that jersey on. And that's what the hashtag does. I can put that jersey on. But at any given time in my conversation with my friends, at any given time on the football field out here with my son and all those kind of things, I can say something different. But the hashtag, you know, I put that uniform on. You see me, I'm aligning myself. I want you to say I'm with the Dallas Cowboys. But if something were to go down with the Dallas Cowboys, I can quickly take that off. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. See the difference with that? That's what the hashtag does. Is Oh, you know, man, yeah, I'm with you guys, man. My, my son calls it bandwagon. Yeah. He says, oh, yeah, daddy, everybody jumped on the, on the Kansas City Chiefs bandwagon. You know, we've been saying about the Kansas City Chiefs for the last seven to eight years. But now once they won a championship, everybody jumped on a bandwagon and went and bought a shirt and all those kind of things. Yeah. But before, when they were going through the difficult times, no one was dealing with them. You know what I'm mm. saying? And so that's the same thing about it right now is that when we were having, when these situations were happening before, uh, um, no one was with us, you know, but now we can throw a hashtag. It's like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm down. Yo, it's more than just a hashtag because I can take that off. Or I can take that and delete that, you know? Uh, and and I'm, I'm grateful that people are using hashtags and things of that nature. Um, um, but that doesn't, that doesn't show me the emphasis of your heart. Yeah. You know I'm saying? That's just, okay, I saw you do that and that's cool. But now let me go to your house. Let me engage with your family. Let me engage with your friends. What are those conversations like? And then I will know, you know, if that hashtag really means something, if you're really standing with me or you're just saying you're standing with me because it looks good. I saw this, this post on, on social media. This young lady, she got out of her car and she, this Hispanic guy was, was boarding up a, 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 you know, a, a place that had been riding and he was boarding it up. She jumped out of her car, told her husband to take a picture of her like she was drilling. Oh, he took his drill, act like he was drilling, and then she jumped back in her car. Uh, she wanted that moment. She wanted her friends to see, oh, I'm doing something. I'm a part of this. Yay. Not really being a part of it. She didn't really say, hey, husband, hey, husband, sweetheart, park the car right here. Hey, can, can we join you? Can we get some hammers and nails? Can we really help you put these, 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 these boards up here? She wanted this for people to see that, you know, I'm with you guys. I am doing something. In actuality, she's not. And so that's what we do with social media. We use social media to rant and to rave, but really in our life, we, we, we haven't been saying this, you know, um, uh, uh, in, in the, the first year that president Obama took office, um, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina and, uh, all of a sudden a group of people just, you know, they just started immediately just, you know, Oh, you know, abortion, 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 abortion. That was the thing then, mm. you know, abortion, abortion, and we'll get this and we'll get this. And I was like, wait a minute, abortion's been going on for a long time. And you've never said anything, you know, we've been out here at the clinics for a long time. If you've never been out here, we've been, we've been posting and, and sending out emails and you've never responded, but now you're going to jump on this abortion now because politically it allows you to confront the person that you don't want to be with. Mm. It became a hashtag for me. I can put that on now. Yeah. Not really that I was for, uh, uh, I was against abortion. You know, I say that because I go to church, but not really, I was really fighting for that. Not really that I was communicating with young ladies and young men about the, the, the damage that that was doing. No, I wasn't doing any of that, you know, but now because people saying that this president may not be, you know, the best president for, okay, now let me jump in the fray because I don't like him. Uh, now let me become an a, abortion abolicist or uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, an activist now for abortion. Wait a minute. The last 15, 20 years before all those other presidents, you weren't dealing with it then. You never said anything before that. Yeah. Ah, come on, man. This is what we do with those hashtags and our social media. We will jump on with everybody. You know, I, I sent a, uh, a text to a friend of mine the other day. 
I said, man, I don't know if to call you a uh, chef. I don't know if to call you, you know, DJ, or I don't know if to call you an actor because every day you're posting all these videos and posts about things that are going wrong. Mm. But where was all that before? Yeah. Where was all this for the last 15, 20 years? I've known you for about 10 years. Where was that then? You know, now this year, we want to get excited about posting things. We want to get excited about saying, you know, putting up a bunch of stats. No, man, this is unfair. Uh, and God is not pleased in any kind of way. And this is the thing I want y'all to understand. The gospel does not talk about social things. Mm. The Bible talks about social things. <laughs> There's the difference. Mm. There's the difference. And, and people say that all the time. Oh, man, the gospel is this. and the God. No, 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 no. The gospel is very clear. You know, it, it, it's, very, it, it's only one objective for the gospel. He wants you to know that you are dead to sin. He sent his son to rescue us. He died for us. He rose again so that now we can be reconciled back. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, the Bible in and of itself, it talks about social matters. So when people say, well, the gospel is not this and the gospel is not that, to, as to say, that's why I'm not getting in the fray. No, 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 that's unfair. Mm -hmm. Because the Bible talks about everything in our lives. It doesn't just talk about one thing. It talks about everything that we deal with in our life. So if we talk about the gospel, yeah, the gospel is not social. Yeah, it's not. It's dealing with the heart. The gospel is all about us being reconciled back to him. True. But the Bible from Genesis to Revelation talks about social issues and where we need to stand as the church. Mm -hmm. The very first miracle, you tell me the very first miracle that Jesus did. Water to wine, Water right? Water to wine. Uh, okay, so why did he do that? Because people wanted to have fun. He was at an event, yeah. uh, and I would, I would gather to believe that it had to be a family event, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was customary that, you know, they would have wine and things, that, and if that had ran out, he would have been humiliated. He would have been, you know, the talk mm -hmm. of the town and all those kind of things. That's a social issue. Mm -hmm. The very first miracle Jesus does is social. Hmm. Right. So in and of itself, the Bible speaks of us engaging in social community. It, in, it talks about us being warriors for social things that don't make us socialist. Right. It means that we are involved in social situations because we as the body are the, are the hands and feet of God. Mm. And if we're not involved in it, who's going to be involved in it? Yeah. Well, Marvin, this is so good. I mean, you've, you've said like, like, I, I want to like ask you 15 questions on what you've already said. And there's like a bunch of them that are running around inside of my mind. So I'm just going to get one of them out here and, and, and. And if I follow it up with, you know, another one out of nowhere, whatever. But but you're saying such good <laughs> stuff that I'm like, I want to latch on to some of it. So here's here's the deal. Um, when when you were describing that that moment that the church had right for that day or so. I, I, I'm like, oh, man, you're you're right. OK, so I'm resonating with what you're saying. I think. Some of it is out of fear that we didn't respond. Some of it is out of, you know, pride that we didn't respond. Some, name whatever it is, right? But some of it is a lack. We, we have never done it before. Mm -hmm. And it's never been seen before. And because it hasn't been seen before, we don't know what to do, right? So, right. like, let's, let's play it out, Right. In that moment, we have the, the George Floyd, uh, all that, that murder is seen by, by thousands, by millions of people around the world and in our country. 
we have the opportunity to respond. As everything is boiling up, we have the opportunity to respond. How does that look? Like, can you, can, can you like paint a a picture for us of like, what would it look like for us to enter that in a way that's like, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what the, this is how the church should have responded. Yeah. The same pastors that have been vehemently championing everything that is happening uh, uh, in politics right now, those same pastors Hmm. who've been very vocal about everything in politics right now, those should have been the very first pastors to say, Hey man, you know, this situation uh, that we have seen is, is horrific and we do not condone that. How can we walk and talk with you in conversation so that this does not transpire anymore? Mm. We never got that from any of our leaders. Mm. What we did get was, well, you know, uh, only one bad apple doesn't ruin everything. Mm. That's the conversation that we got. Sure. <laughs> this one bad cop doesn't ruin everything. We understand that. But then on the flip side, we will always say that, oh, man, you know, this guy represents this party, this guy represents this community or this group of people. And so this is how we'll think about everybody. So one person can do, and I don't, people, I don't think people realize this, that the African-American community is not the largest group in the United States. Mm-hmm. I, don't people, I don't think people realize that. But we are attributed to most, if not all of the crime and, and bad situations. The worst place, I heard this from a comedian. He says the worst place for, or the, the most dangerous place for African American to be is in the imagination of his white counterpart. Mm-hmm. And what he means by that is that everything that you get from school, everything that you get from your parents, everything that you get from your church, everything that you get from your news channels and articles, paints African-Americans as angry, uh, you know, uh, lazy, uh, trying to always get over, don't do these kind of things, blah, 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 you know, fire violet and all these kind of things. That's what's painted. So in my mind, when I see a black person, I immediately think, oh, I need to, you know, I need to be on guard with them. Oh, I need to watch out because he may do this or she may do that. Or if she gets upset with me, she's an angry black woman. Mm. But if a white lady says it, she's very passionate. See the Mm. difference in the language that we use there? And so in my imagination that has already been painted about me interacting with the African-American, I already have my biases of what's going to go on. So there's no Mm. room for that person to sit down and really engage with me. I have to now break these biases down before I can engage. Whereas for most African-Americans, and not all, there's not an image in our head of what we have of white folks. Mm. there's not an image that we have. We just, okay, this is what it is. Well, okay, we'll deal with the situation. Oh, man, that's cool. Oh, man, okay, it is what it is. You know, there, there's the other side to that coin. There's no, no, no picture in our imagination because we've just always dealt with whatever we've dealt with. Yeah. And so that changes conversations. So our leaders never stood up. That's the very first thing, and which is the, the church. We only talk about the church here. Right. We can't talk about everybody else. We're only going to talk about the church. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that we did not physically go and stand with our brothers and sisters. Hmm. We did not physically say, okay, man, this is not okay. It wasn't until um, the white evangelicals stood with uh, uh, um, um, uh, Martin Luther King that people began to see what was really going on. Hmm. The black church had been doing it for years. The black people had been doing it for years. Boycotting and doing all this stuff. It wasn't until our white evangelical church begin to partner with us mm-hmm. and not saying that they're our saviors, but if we're not going to do this together, it's not going to be done. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, we don't, our voice is not that big and our voice is not empowered. Mm. That's the next thing. We're not empowered. So if we're not empowered, we don't get to make the decision. Mm. It takes conversations from you, John, and from you, Peter, and from the producer with your community. Okay, let's engage in this conversation. No, what you're saying is not okay. What you're saying is not good. What you're saying is not biblical. Mm-hmm. Let's even take it there. What you're saying is not even biblical. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so, uh, uh, I can engage in conversation with you guys all I want, and I hope that that works. But it takes that conversation with me and another black brother to challenge him on some things. It takes that conversation for you and another white person or a Latino and another Latino to engage in conversation. And then we get to engage in conversation together that we get to reason, understand, and get to a level of understanding to where God can be pleased by how we as the church are moving forward. So <clears throat> let's kind of jump back to social media because I, I think that was a, a fantastic response. Um, you know, the, the Tuesday after the riots, it was blackout Tuesday. There's been a whole lot more conversations. I think I've already mentioned we're, um, commemorating Juneteenth today, which is the ending of, there we go. The ending of slavery in America. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to clarify something. I'm going to clarify something though. Sure. That's the day we celebrate it. Uh, but it had happened two years prior to that. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. It, it had happened in January, uh, uh, 1863. Uh, but the information did not reach a certain area mm. until about two years later. And we're not going to talk about why it didn't know all those kind of things. Uh, but so that's why we celebrate it on this day, uh, uh, and things of that nature. But it had happened two years prior to that. But even in that two years prior to that, no one was still able to actually benefit from that how crazy is that (laughs) yeah i mean there's such a there's such a depth to that right i mean there's so many ways you could even talk about that for two whole years people were set free but they weren't set free like there is so much there it's unbelievable and even after even after that even after that day and we'll get to the social media but even because i want to really i want to emphasize this today because many people because the president posted something that he made juneteenth famous because no one knew anything about it. I beg to differ, brother. There are millions of people who knew something about it. Now, maybe some of his, his, his white counterparts did not know anything about it because we don't want to know the history. We don't want to deal with the past history. We want to put that away. So, of course, some of them may not knew anything about it. But there are millions of people who celebrated across the country who knew about Juneteenth. Um, but even after that, when they begin to celebrate it, they could only celebrate it. They had to pool their money together to buy, uh, uh, I think it was about 30 acres uh, and that they designated as a park with a pool mm. and all that kind of stuff so they could celebrate because they couldn't celebrate in public. Mm. And that was in Galveston, Texas, they, correct? Yeah, they, they weren't allowed. They weren't, they weren't allowed to even, man, I'm free and I can stand outside and say I'm free. No, you better not say that out here or you could get hurt, you could get lynched, you could mm. get murdered, you could get beaten, you could lose everything, you know? So uh, there's so much that falls into that, man. And so that's why we celebrate with this heart that, man, we have been free. And there's so much more to that. Wow. Um, so this is where I was going. And I'm so glad that you stopped me because we needed to, to bring that up. Um, so it's frustrating because, you know, as your son said, there's a lot of bandwagoning for hashtagging. But here's kind of where we really want to go with this episode. Whether or not, you know, you were there in social media, whether or not you felt the pressure you know, now's the time. So I guess for everybody that's joining this conversation, for everybody that's been a part of this conversation about racism in America, like, let's not miss this moment. I guess my question for all of us is now what? 
now what? All right, we've posted on the social now media. What, yeah. The, yeah. So now what is um, us, us physically engaging with one another? Uh, putting down our, this is probably the most difficult thing right now is that because we're in such a, 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 I, I want to say this properly because I don't want to offend anybody. Um, an aggressive political time right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't put down our political biases to actually meet someone humanly. Mm. My politics means more to me than my relationship with you. Um, and so, uh, without being able to stand, you know, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, it's, it's, it's impossible for us to put those down because what happens is when I engage with you, I immediately start pulling from that, that basket of my political party. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this article was had on this one and, and this was on this news channel and this person said that, and, and I got this information and I tell people this all the time. Uh, I'm a huge, uh, news buff. You know, I study, I, I watch every news channel and, and ask my, and my wife hates it because she's like, baby, can you just keep it on one channel? You know, <laughs> I'll go from Fox to CNN to MSNBC to CBS to NBC to ABC. I'm watching everything. And the reason why I watch everything, because everybody has their truth mm. and a little bit of a lie. Mm. You catch that? Yeah. Everybody has their truth and a little bit of a lie. So if I now can watch everybody, I can now find the center of where the truth is uh, and then research for myself. We don't want to do that. And so for us right now, we have to be willing to engage physically with one another and say, hey, man, you know, uh, you know, I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat. But inside of that, I'm a brother and you're a brother in Christ. Or I'm a brother and you're a brother. Let's just talk. Let's just reason. Yeah. I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican. Hey man, all those stuff aside, let's put that down and let's just read. This is the problem. We think we have to save each other through our politics. Hmm. I, I almost started shouting right there. I, I listened <laughs> for the B3 organ. I almost started shouting right there. We think that we're going to save people through our politics by yeah. posting all these posts and putting up all these uh, news articles and news channel bleeps and all these kind of things and, and having all these. That's what, how we think we're going to save the world is through our point of view politically. And God has never called us to that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What does he tell us to do? He says, you're going to be witnesses to me to do what? To go to the othermost parts of the world. Your only job is to be a witness. And the witnesses only can talk about what they have seen and experienced firsthand. I can't talk about it secondhand because somebody told me. That's not why they put you on a witness stand. They put you on a witness stand because your experience has shown you firsthand what takes place. And so as a believer... My experience through the word of God says, I need to see you as a human before I see you as a black human. Mm. Now, I do see you as a black human and I do see you as a white human or Latino human, but I see you as a human first that is black and I accept that. And so we're going to engage that way. This is what we've done. We've relegated people to a label, Mm. a liberal, uh, a conservative, you know, a thug, uh, uh, a hoodlum. Uh, 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 you know, whatever what names we want to call it, a leftist, a right winger. And so when I give you that title, your name means nothing to me anymore. Uh, you mean nothing to me anymore. You become a, a statistic that I can cross out. Yeah. That, that's no, that's been saying. Ooh, what you just said there. I mean, that's deep. What you just said is very, very deep. And, and we should just pause there for a moment just to consider that.
a little bit. Because once you start labeling people beyond their name, you take away their humanity, mm-hmm. is I think what you're saying. Is Am I interpreting what you're saying correctly that, there? That's, 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 that's totally correct. That's totally, the, the lepers, what happened with the mm-hmm. lepers? What, what, what were the lepers supposed to do? They had to be out. They couldn't be connected with anybody, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, because they had that name leper. They were labeled. They had names, mm-hmm. but we don't know none of their names in the story. Right. They were lepers. Mm-hmm. And Jesus changed their condition so that they could have their identity back. Yeah. You know, the first thing that would happen um, uh, uh, with Daniel in the book of Daniel, when they were taken, they were given new names. Mm-hmm. We're going to change your name. You're not going to be who you said you were. We're going to strip you of all those kind of things. And when we strip people of who they were and their identity, then they no longer become human to us. They just become objects that we can use or not use. Mm. That's why when people approach us and they say, say the, say the name, George Floyd, say the name, Brianna mm. Ted. They want you to really say the name, not because, you know, they're, they're trying to antagonize you. They want you to get the humanistic part of, you know, that person uh, was a human. He was a human being. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what took place, that person was a human being. You know, the police officer, uh, 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 Mr. David Chauvin, I, I, I hope I pronounced his name right. I say his name uh, and I try to say his name right because he's a human in that situation. I want y'all to hear this and, and, and be clear about this. Mm-hmm. When he woke up that morning, he didn't say, you know what? I'm a racist and I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill me a black guy today. Mm-hmm. When he woke up that morning, he woke up and put his uniform out to go do his job. The situation happens was, is that when he got in that, in that situation, what kicked in was, I need you to know that I'm superior to you. Mm. Right. I don't think it was a black and white situation. It was, I'm superior to you. Mm. And so in the moment of him trying to be superior, a tragedy happened. Now, I'm not excusing that in any kind of way. But what I'm saying to you that is we have this mentality that I am better than you, whether I have a badge or whether I'm the principal of the school or whether I'm the CEO of the company or whether I'm the pastor of this church. We have this thing of whether I'm, my status makes me better than you. And so you need to know that I'm superior to you. And so I need to dominate you so that you know that I'm superior to you. You know, when we get language like that, when we hear language like that, you know, yeah. I need to dominate you. You know, I need you to be saying that I'm superior to you. I need to show you how inferior you are. So I lose the humanity in who I'm dealing with. Ooh. We do it in sports all the time. We do it in sports all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and we don't even realize that. Um, and so that's what has happened with the church. And so right now we need to. That's why I got this shirt. It says be the church. Yeah. We get to be the church. First of all, Pastor Tony Clark, who's a, I love Pastor Tony Clark. He's been. Uh, Virginia, Calvary Chapel pastor in Virginia, uh, and he and he he posted a post today, and I and I reposted it in a different way. Is that as believers we should be fighting for souls right now? Hmm. If we are fighting for souls, that means we see people as human. We know that we all need a redeemer. We know that we all need a savior, and so we're all on even level. Mm-hmm. But instead of fighting for souls, we're fighting for political power. Mm-hmm. We're fighting for you know. Uh, uh, social equality. We're fighting for, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. But when do we get back to fighting for souls? Because if I start fighting for souls, I recognize that this person is human, and I can stand with you in this social life. When when we're fighting for souls, I recognize that politically there are some things that are uneven, and I want to understand you, and you understand me, and we can walk together in that. Mm. It doesn't have to be a, a, a this you against me mentality, mm. and that's in the church. Right. The the emphasis. I want to say this, and, and, I, and I hope that people who are watching your podcast or listening to the podcast uh, hear this. The only reason why that we have a black church and a white church and a Hispanic church is because of racism. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. There's no other reason. So if that was embedded in us from the beginning, then why shouldn't be, why shouldn't we as believers be fighting to get rid of that? Hmm. That should right. be on our, our number one, but we think we don't think it's there because you know, well, all my community is white. So that's what my community is. That's what my church is going to look like. It's going to be white or well, all my community is black. So that's what my church is going to look like. Why does your community look all white? And why does your community look all black? Hmm. It's because that's what we have all innately grown up to be like, instead of, you know what? I don't have to live in this situation. I don't have to live in this situation. We can make a new situation and we can show the people what the kingdom of God should be. Yeah. Now I know every church is not going to be multicultural. I understand that. this demographically where everything is. I do understand, that. but that doesn't have to, and this is, that's why I say be the church because that's a building. But if we are the church, then, you know, John, when I come to New York, I'm sitting in your house and, and we eating some okra and some uh, uh, macaroni salad, you know, yeah. and, 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 and Peter, when you come to Atlanta, you're going to be at my house and my wife's going to cook some macaroni and cheese and some, some candy yams and some collard greens and we're going to get down and we're going to eat. We have relationship. It's more than just being a church on Sunday morning. It's being a church on an everyday basis. Mm. Me and my wife, we do a class and hopefully one day uh, this book, uh, the Lord will allow us to do the book. It's called Tolerating or embracing the cultural clash of the church. Wow. Wow. I can, I can, I can tolerate you on my job. I can tolerate you in a restaurant. I can tolerate you in a movie, but to embrace you, that means I have to invite you into my inner circle. Mm. And that's something different. That's totally different. Marvin, I, I gotta, I gotta stop you because I, I think one of the questions that's kind of coming up and it's, it, it seems simple, but it's complicated. You know, so you've talked about, we have, we have ethnic churches primarily because of racism. Um, now we have a bunch of people at the table. And so so here's here's a white person saying, I want to take a next step and I want to have black people in my life. But I can imagine as a black person, I don't want to be your, you know, your racism conversation. Black yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, exactly, exactly. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I'm trying to be. I, I, so, I, I, I know, man. Hey, so, we don't have to be politically correct, yeah, man. We're, right. we're family. I, we're I brothers. love it. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, how would you respond to that way? Because you're saying relationships, embrace. You know, what do those steps look like? Especially, hey, I live in a white neighborhood. Hey, so this is what's going to happen. Initially, for many people, it's going to have to be intentionally. I'm going to I'm going to uh, uh, find a black person and I'm going to intentionally develop a relationship with them because they're black. I call it intentional unintentionality. I'm engaging in this conversation and, and relationship with you because I don't have any black friends and I genuinely want that. But, you know, I need to start somewhere. So you're going to be the first person that I engage with. Just like my black friends, I tell them the same thing about, you You need to engage with someone that is white, you know, that you can engage with a relationship with. And from that, you will learn some things to be able to develop more relationships. Uh, I have a lot of friends of mine who are white and I tell them, I say, Hey man, next time you get ready to do a cookout in your, in your community, because many of them have moved into, you know, um, black communities, mm-hmm. you know, because they want to be a part of what's happening, you know, and that's a whole nother conversation as well. Yeah. And I said, okay, you know what? Okay. That's the case then uh, invite me over to your, 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 your cookout when you, when you do it in the community. Because this is what's going to happen. When that other black person sees me, they can in- immediately engage with me even though they don't engage with you. But now I get to legitimize who you are. Say, hey, man, this is my brother Peter. Hey, this is my brother John here, man. And I love them brothers, man. Hey, man, yeah, in the community, man. Why don't you make sure you come over and hang out with them, blah, 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 blah. I get to speak for you. 
Mm. Same for you. If I come over to your house, if I moved into an all-white community and you come over to my house and I'm having a cookout and someone sees you out there, they're cutting the grass. He's like, hey, Stephen, hey, how you doing? Hey, man, come over and meet my friend Marvin, man. man. Me and Marvin have been doing ministry together for years, blah, blah, blah. I love this guy, man. He's moved into your community, blah, blah, blah. You get to speak for me. Mm. So we have to start with those kind of conversations. So as, as uncomfortable as it is, you say, you know, I don't want this person to be my, my token black friend that I have. Well, if you genuinely have that relationship, the heart to want to genuinely have a relationship, it won't be a token relationship. Mm. Yeah. It won't be your, 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 my, my one black friend. He will be the beginning to a cultural revelation for you that will extend to many other people of culture, not just black. Now, we always say black and white as if those are the only two races that we're dealing with. But there are many races that we are dealing with. It's just right now we're, 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 we're being thrust into this black and white situation mm. because that has been the most prevalent one in the United States. Yeah. So we have to bring back my, my I'm, I'm out here sweating. I'm outside. My, my glasses are fogging up. Um, but we have to. So if it takes me intentionally engaging in conversation and relationship with someone who is black that, that goes to my church or that uh, lives in my community or that, you know, works with me or something like that. Hey, man, I genuinely. I, hey, man, I don't know you, man. My name is Peter, man. And I, I'd, I'd like to you know know you, man. I'd like to get to know you. I'm not inviting everybody to my house right from the beginning, but I'm going to engage with you until I can invite you to my house. That's mm. my intention. I, and I think this is the reason why I've been doing um, um, uh, music for almost 20 some years, bro. And people ask me all the time, Marvin, you have so many relationships with so many big name artists, gospel and CCM. Why haven't you become one of those big name people? And, and I say this because I just deal in relationships. I deal with relationships. I have relationships with people, you know, um, you know, from this group to that group, but I don't use my relationship to get something from them. I genuinely want to have a relationship with them. People can tell you, even those who, you know, with the guitar company, I'll email guys and text guys. So how can I pray for you today? How's your wife doing, man? I, I saw, I know your kid, your son was trying out for baseball. How did he do, man? You know, hey, man, mm-hmm. I got a friend over here. You can that relationship thing has to genuinely be there. And whether, regardless if I jump into it with this black person or this white person, if I genuinely want a relationship, people will see that. Mm-hmm. Now, when I know it's not genuine, I will see, okay, you just want to say that you got a black friend. Mm. Or you just want to say that you got a white friend. And so people can see that genuinely, very genuine, especially for African-Americans. Oh, oh, you just want me to just check off your blacklist. That's what that is. Mm. You know, uh, you, you, you trot me out when you want to do something, but then I'm not engaged in your life any other time. No, 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 no. And that's one of the things, let me say this. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that has really hurt me uh, in the political process is that we trot out, you know, um, um, people of color uh, only when we want them to say what we're saying, but we never see them in conversation with you any other time. Right. So that's how I know that's, that's, mm. it's, that's disingenuous. Yeah. You, you, you bring me out when you want to prove to me that, you know, every black person is not saying this and saying that, but I never see you in, I've never seen you a picture, a picture of you and that person anywhere. I've never seen you uh. at dinner. I've never seen you out uh, at the baseball game. I've never seen you with that person mm. until you need them. Yeah. To speak what you're saying. Uh, Come on, man. That's yeah. unfair. Oh, man. That's so good. I mean, what you're describing, though, Marvin, like, I know I want to backtrack to something that you said before, because because what you said before was the gospel is not necessarily social, right? In that it 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 describes our relationship with God and being reconciled to God. But I, I, I do, in some sense, I want to push back on that a little bit in that if we are reconciled to God, 
we, we can't help but want to be reconciled to the people around us, right? I mean, or else that reconciliation hasn't driven its way deep enough into our hearts. If we haven't, if we aren't at the point where we're like, man, I really want to be like the people around me to to know that I love them regardless of their their skin color. If I, if I can't be that to the people around me, then then somehow that reconciliation with God hasn't quite worked its way down deep enough. It, at least that's my opinion. Well, I, and the, and Rick, but the, the difference in yeah sorry. yeah well no and, no go ahead go ahead. and and just kind of what I'm thinking about with John, I I love the way you phrased it. I think the way that I I would I feel comfortable phrasing it is the gospel is the gospel, but for it to be really true in your life, there's implications. So this morning I'm reading 1 John 4 and in 1 John 4 it says, you know, basically if you don't love your brother and sister, you don't love God. And and you know, I think it's hard cuz we're trying to explain something and I think I see where you're going like the moment that we bring in the word social to gospel, people run to social gospel, works based. So trying to make that delineation but, you know, right. I would argue you cannot have a genuine experience of the gospel if you treat people below the image of God. Well, this, the, 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 the thing about the gospel is that, the, um, uh, and hold on, let me, let, me, let me show you, this, this is a cheap plug, the cheap plug. The shirt simply says, changed lives, changed lives. Mm. Change with the D on the end of change lives, change lives. Yeah. The gospel changes me. And so it, as the gospel changes me, now it is incumbent upon me to now be a part of that loving situation to where now I want to change someone else's life through what the gospel has done for me. Yeah. So again, the, the gospel changes us. And that's the first thing. That's what the gospel is supposed to do. It's supposed to change us. Mm-hmm. And as it changes us, then we become... A, a, a component of this love that God speaks about that now allows me to love everybody at the same level. Right. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference to what I say about that. The gospel, again, it does one thing. Yep. It's here to change me. It's mm-hmm. to change that individual. But then after the gospel does that, yeah. that's where we get into the horizontal of the love situation mm-hmm. where we talk about the scripture that you were talking about. Now, innately within me, I want to love in a different level. And so now I see you as a human because I know you need what I've gotten and how can I share that in a relationship with you? So the gospel still sits here. Yeah. And then we get to live out mm. what the gospel has innately done within us. Yeah. You still the, the, yeah, you, it's you understand come, the difference in what I'm trying to get to? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're talking priority. You can't you can't put the one before the other. Like the gospel changes right. us, but as a result of that change if that if you have right. experienced it, then that's you can it. go and, and 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 it's not the the that's, I'm going to try to reconcile ahead of time. It's like no, God needs to do that's something that. in us first. God needs to do something in it because and He literally has to do something in us because innately within us we have our own biases, we have our own prejudice, we have our own uh, uh, everything that we already have. So God has to innately destroy all of that to rebuild us. Hmm. You know, uh, we are in the world but not of the world. You know, so he has to rebuild everything about what we think, how we think, what we what we have done and all those kind of things. That's why in, in Daniel uh, chapter one, I think it's uh, verse eight, Daniel said he had purpose in his heart not to defile his God. 
He had purpose in his heart. That means he made a conscious decision even before the king told him that this is what they had to eat. He had already purposed in his mind, I am not going to do this. Why? Because God has changed me. And so in God changing me, now this is how I respond to that change. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Well, Marvin, we're going to have you on again. I just want to let you know. (laughs) Hey, man, love it. Our, uh, our, you know, it... uh, I'm, I grew up Pentecostal and our producer was like, Come on, Bishop. he was like 40 minutes, like 30 minutes ago. I don't know. So this, this was well worth <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I'm used to that. So we close with every question um, or we close every episode with the question, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? John and I are going to um, share and then we'll give you the final word as we kind of close up, you know, and I just really appreciate you volunteering to be on this episode. So, what does Jesus have to say about it? Who's going first, me or you, John? Um, yeah, either one, either one. I, I can go first. I mean, I I was watching the funeral of George Floyd. What was that? A week ago, a week and a half ago now. And actually, Al Sharpton was giving the the eulogy at his talk, and and I was listening to Al Sharpton give the talk, and I was actually. I was surprised by how much I wanted to amen him at some points and just, you know, go like, wow. And, and, and what, what he said at one point is he was, he was telling this story about a preacher that he knew that told him about the, that, that he knew the end of the story. And, 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 and he did a much better job. I'm not going to try to recount what he said, but I, as I think about that, I go, there is an end to this story. There is an end that we know how this plays out. And the way this plays out, if if you turn to Revelation and you look at the end of it, it's people from every tribe, tongue, nation, sitting around the throne of God together, not separate, together around the throne of God and singing his praise. Like we, that is how this all ends. And we're, we're guaranteed of that. And, and I think when we have the opportunity to, to make that a reality in this life, we need to strive for that. We need to give people yeah. a picture of, of what heaven is going to be like. And, and maybe in ways that we haven't before, we have the opportunity, I think, during this stage to give people a picture of heaven that is real. Um, and, and that's my hope through, through this and even through this conversation a little bit. You know, I think about the way that Jesus engaged prejudice. Um, When we think about the 12 disciples, those were 12 individuals that for no other reason except for Jesus would have spent time with each other. Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, Simon was a zealot. So you have one government official that's stealing money um, and you have another one that's trying to overthrow the government. The government. And and, and, and and you think about that. Hold on. That's what we got right now. We got yeah. that going on, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so I I say that and and I just love I'm gonna repeat this again because Eric Mason just said it so simply and it's for everybody. Oh man, I love Dr. Mason. There you go. He says uh, uh, proximity breeds empathy, distant or um, distance breeds suspicion. Proximity breeds empathy, distance breeds suspicion. So it's hard work. You know, I think all of us are going to, are going to, I wouldn't say fail, but we're going to mess up. But, you know, I think about this, the way that Jesus engaged community 
was he had people together who didn't agree on everything, but love each other and they were united through him. And that is the sermon that the church has yet to preach, which is this, all of you that are hanging out together, you shouldn't be, you know, but because of Jesus, we are. And I think if the world saw that, that would totally change this conversation. So I want to just be quick with this, but it's more than a hashtag. And, you know, we we talked about that one question. How can you be, I think about this, being a greeter at church, like if you are someone that that talks to people and, and just engages them and with hospitality, that is so powerful. If you decide to support and consistently be a part of a nonprofit that, that you're volunteering, you're giving money to, if you get to know your neighbors, like the question should be, who's invited to your house for dinner and your party? That's where it starts because proximity breeds empathy, distance breeds suspicion. And both of you guys, uh, thank you, first of all, for allowing me to be a part of this. I, I, I've totally enjoyed this. Uh, and, uh, you know, me and Peter, we've had some conversations uh, outside of this that I really enjoyed, man. And, and, and I'm thankful that uh, he thought enough of me to call me as a friend and engage in those kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for those who are listening, those who are watching, um, this podcast is not just about us giving you information. This podcast is based upon us sharing some things with you that hopefully you will engage with your friends and or us even beyond this mm. that can t- con- continue, not just with this podcast, but every podcast mm. that you guys do. Uh, and that's the purpose of it. Um, I, I want to close with this is that, um, uh, and I, and, and I, and I champion this all the time, change lives, change lives. Mm. The woke up about three o'clock in the morning, uh, about a week or so ago. And, 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 he, and, he, and, and I just almost as if it was audibly heard, but I knew it wasn't, but he was saying, uh, the reason why darkness is abounding is because there's no light. Mm. And I was like, what in the world? So the reason why it seems like darkness is covering and everything looks so gloomy is because the church is not shining. The church is up under a basket when it should be up on the land. Mm. We need to, again, be the church. The COVID has shown us how we realize that we're dependent upon that building more so than dependent upon God. Mm. And when we get back to what the, uh, I, I read the book of Acts every year, once a year, uh, just so I can realize what the, uh, the, the first church looked like and how far we're away from it and what the first church looked like and how close we are to it. When we get back to being the church, then we develop relationships with people, genuine relationships, and then we want to be in proximity of brothers and sisters. And we hurt when they hurt. And we rejoice when they rejoice. And we, we champion when they champion. When I go to a football game, I don't just take my, my, I can just go with my wife. I take kids that don't look like me. I want them to experience what my boys experience. Just mm. like other folks, I want them to, to be able to, that's embracing. That's that relationship thing. Mm. And until we as the church can get that understanding, then the world is going to be in a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. Me and my boys are working on a new album right now. And one of my favorite songs is I think Second Corinthians seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It, he said he's going to do some things. I will heal their land. Mm. So it's when the church, it's not the, the unbelievers. That's what I get frustrated about on Facebook and social media. It's the church that's acting a fool. It's not yeah. the unbelievers. 
It's the church. And so it's great that you can put a hashtag. It's great that you understand what the hashtag means or some of you don't know what it means. But engage. And when you engage, then the hashtag doesn't become a hashtag. It becomes who you are, who you are and not something you're doing. Hmm. So That's what it has to be. Who wow. you are and not something hmm. you're doing. Wow. That was so good. I So I'm going to... I'm going to give Marvin a shameless plug. Go to marvinmumford.com. Um, I'm going to ask all of you. Um, he's selling Be The Church t-shirts. We do this audio. They're red t-shirts. I'm buying one for myself and my wife. I'm also buying one for Dylan and John. They're $30. Support Marvin. Um, I think this is this is an important time and i just want to thank marvin for coming on if you go to his website you can see all the ways to follow him uh, instagram twitter and facebook um he's on itunes and youtube so make sure um make sure you do that you can follow us at whygodwhypodcast.com use hashtag wgw podcast write a review for us and uh, thank you so much for joining us today we hope you have a great day <laughs>